0: We would be honored if
1: you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, we have Nate and Chris in the studio, along with our unsung hero Dave, who doesn't get enough praise even from us. I think
2: that's true. That's but true. We he is here. Love
1: you, Dave. We, we do love him. Heart <laughs> shape thing. Anyway, we are here today. As always, how you doing, Nate?
2: Uh, I'm doing man. I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. So the weather's turning in Canada um, from our first season which is winter to our second season which is summer and then it will go back to winter there's only there's only really two here in, we, uh, in canada we
1: get a slight like week of spring I yeah think. it's about a
2: week about and a week. i think that's where we are right now so yeah a couple days
1: in between it's supposed yeah. to be like 19 degrees which for us is quite warm yeah um to put it in reference for you american people um but it's like i don't know is that 60 60? 60 ish
2: yeah i'm not good with that i have no idea 65 yeah. maybe so anyway anyway long story short i'm good that's good. Um, and uh, how about you? Anything go on this week?
1: I, have, I am, I am praising the Lord right now because I have avoided all of the illness that it seems mm. to have just ransacked our church, yes. your family, my
2: family, yeah,
1: all of my friends, yeah. my workplace, and somehow where if I don't believe in touching wood, but I'm touching it, whereas <laughs> like just knocking on it, carrying a lucky charm, I don't have any of those things. But if I did, I'd be very happy because I have somehow avoided illness so far
2: see i didn't avoid or i avoided the illness as well but i this this brings up a good point so my entire family was sick which includes a two and a half year old a 10 month old and my wife so would you rather be one of the sick or the only one not sick taking care of three sick individuals
1: I feel like the answer varies very differently for you and me. You you're the kind of person who could thrive in that situation, so I feel like you would be better off not being sick. I would totally be better <laughs> off being sick cuz Heather is the accomplished one. <laughs> she,
2: yeah, well I only say that because it like I I didn't get sick, but I feel like, you know, it just it just ransacked the house because it's almost like a week of write off.
1: Well, I think I think that's one of those just like like nice little common grace things because if imagine if you and Colleen got sick, yeah, then you then guys would have been Judah taking care of our, our kids, yeah, and then but Quinn was not sick, yeah. How do you handle that? Because she's we st- drop her off at your house. That's the answer to that <laughs> answer question. Babysitters.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what we would have done. We just would have knocked on the door and ran. <laughs> it's like we leave, we left our kid at, at, at Pootie's house. Yeah,
1: so good. I hope they're home. We yeah. good thing we
2: love her. Yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, that's maybe what we would have done. So nice. anyway, uh, we are the Rebel Alliance Media. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, find us uh, at uh, rebelalliancemedia.com or find us on Facebook. Uh, there you can interact with us, uh, follow some of our posts, share, like the content, give us a rating, all that kind of stuff. We enjoy it immensely. Um, the other thing uh, is that we are proud members of the Berean Media Network, which is a, uh, a group of four podcasts. Uh, It's us, it's the layman's cup, the front pew, and the two thieves. And we're all committed to uh, gospel-centered, Christ-centered, God-glorifying content. And we push each other's content, we sharpen each other. There's lots of conversations behind the scenes, all that kind of stuff. Which actually makes me think of a conversation when I'm talking about our other podcast friends. Um, the, uh, The front pew dropped an episode last week. Uh, from when we're recording, actually this week, but last week, from when you're listening, and they're talking about some of the things that are going on. So the Gospel Coalition just put on a a conference, the 50 year anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King, which so they were kind of talking about some of the stuff that's going on, and it, it, it's it's interesting because um, I guess part of me would would I, I was I was a little bit confused with the Gospel Coalition putting on a conference revolving around a guy who uh is such a controversial figure. And I, I, I don't say that for any of the I mean people most people think about Martin Luther King and uh and they think about, you know, his social justice, his his fight to end, you know, racism and segregation, all that kind of stuff. And and that was good. That was a grace of God. But it was a grace of God, despite a lot of moral and theological failures on his part. So, for the Gospel Coalition to kind of center the conference around a guy who, who there's there's writings out there where I mean he, he denies the deity of Christ. I don't know how you, how you you know call him a brother when you're not den- being you know he's denying the deity of Christ. It seems like a pretty big thing. And then obviously the moral failures, uh, a lot of like um, documented uh, extramarital affairs, um, strippers, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I just say all that to say I, it, it's hard to watch the Gospel Coalition, which is full of a lot of pastors who have meant a lot to me. I'm um, kind of getting caught up in the culture of oh, the culture's big in condemning racism right now. Let's do our thing against racism. And it's like we. There, there's an element to the. Obviously, the, the Bible speaks against racism. Obviously, racism is a sin. Um, but. I mean let's not get stuck on those kinds of issues let's not put a conference on for martin luther king let's put a a conference on that's centered around the gospel and if racism happens to be one of the things that you want to focus on or somebody wants to bring a message about that that's fine but centering a conference around a guy who denied the deity of christ for a a group that calls itself the gospel coalition seems yeah (laughs) (laughs) Edgy. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I don't know how to say it because even
1: just saying that they shouldn't celebrate Martin Luther King sounds racist. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound great because like because we attach we just attach not, a natural level of like respect and admiration for Martin Luther King for one one thing that he did right. in his life, like which was a great thing, right. amazing thing, the right thing. But we also have to remember he did a lot of things like deny the deity of Christ that we would not support. And we right. would we would openly and have openly condemned other people, Joel Steen, other yeah. people, for the same for equal kind of heresy. For, exactly, for equal yeah. things and, and things like that. So I I I agree with you because I kind of feel just it's cringeworthy that they're doing this. And yeah. I remember there was people friends of mine that asked me asked us to go and we didn't go. And I do feel like it's like that's not why we didn't go, but yeah. It's a little cringeworthy, and part of that I don't like about it is that, um, like you're like you're saying, we're celebrating a man, but we're more just trying to mimic culture now. Yeah, and, and that's, it's secret, what, that's it's like a secret church type thing. We're like, I agree, we'll just do yeah. it, be- we'll just do it better, and then yeah. people will like us too. Right, and it's like, no, that nowhere in scripture does it tell you to be like everyone else. Right, it says the opposite.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, and the other thing that I think is interesting is, um, so I mean, there's a lot there. So, I mean. The, the reality, and, and one of the things that the guys on the front pew were talking about, which I agreed with, was that, I mean, the fact that Martin Luther King couldn't get into a conservative Christian seminary because of the systemic racism, that's a thing. Like, that that's real, That that's something that we need to recognize, and I do believe in, in cultural repentance, I do believe in, in systemic repentance, I, I do believe that the church needs to repent for the sins of our forefathers, I agree with all of that stuff but just but that doesn't um you can't say that because of one sin so because of the sin of not allowing him due to racist motivations into a conservative seminary and he had to go to a a liberal seminary and and kind of got liberalized there because of that then we should ignore his other sins that's to take away responsibility that's like quite honestly that's like saying you know so so they were kind of talking about how you know Martin Luther was denied access to a a conservative, you know, and we need to deal with that. We need to face that. And that's the reason. And so we can't hold this theological um, heresy essentially against him. And I would just say that's kind of like saying, hey, you know, Romans 9, like, you know, I know... pharaoh had a hard heart but it says god hardened his heart so you can't really hold that against him right that's not what the bible says the bible says you know god's sovereign and man is responsible and so in this case yeah like that's systemic racism and we need to repent of that and make sure that it's not currently um manifesting in our seminaries but that doesn't negate his sin
1: yeah all Our culture's sin against him doesn't make, doesn't absolve him from responsibility of his own choices, his own sins in terms of like his theology, his sexual misconducts, which are documented, we don't need to get into. It doesn't absolve him of that and doesn't mean that we can just forget all those things about him. And just celebrate all the all the good things. Yeah. We have to we have to take the whole package. And
2: and so then the last thing I want to say is actually a friend friend of the show, uh, Tim Bailey, who came on Pastor Tim Bailey, who came on not too long ago. Uh, he put out a really good article about this whole controversy, and he kind of just said like, "Let a man mourn the loss of his hero," and and I agree with that. And and one of the things that Bailey does so well, and so I was convicted when I was reading his article, is he said, you know. Anybody who says that we don't have something to repent of and talking about racism is lying to themselves. We all have racism in our hearts that we need to repent of because we're all selfish and we're all self-centered and there's sin still in all of us. So I'm not saying any of this to negate the very good message that I think the the Gospel Coalition was getting out. And that is that racism is still a thing even though you don't think it is because sin is still a thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I would just recommend that article to you. Tim Bailey put it out on Warhorn Media. Uh, you can find that at warhornmedia.com. I thought uh, Doug Wilson and Tabidi uh, had a really good exchange. So you can find some of, uh, I thought Doug Wilson brought up a lot of good stuff. So if you wanna follow any of that stuff, check out their articles. Um, But that's just kind of some of the things that are going on right now that I thought was worth commenting on.
1: Yeah, there's uh, absolutely is. There's another piece of news we wanted to touch on that's a little more close to home in terms of like for Canadians, but I'm sure people have heard about it all over. Um, The Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team from Saskatchewan, Canada, um, which is like one of our states, one of our provinces, um, was... Basically, all killed. Fifteen of them died as they were t-boned in a in a car accident by like a I think it was a tra- tractor trailer. Yeah, um, and right away we can say. We're sorry for the families we we are praying for them and we believe our prayers do matter so we continue to send out our prayers and pray for them yeah absolutely Um, it's
2: it's interesting so for a lot of the American listeners maybe this didn't make its way into American news but uh, so so Canadian of us right so like as kind of a a memorandum as as something to kind of show our support and our prayers uh, we're all putting our hockey sticks outside of our front doors Uh, and so you look you literally you look around our neighborhoods here in Ontario you know all these miles away you see all these hockey sticks outside the front door of houses. It's just kind of showing support for, uh, for this whole event. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the interesting things is like we, we often talk about how sometimes, well, not sometimes, all times God is sovereign. And so even in the midst of a tragedy and even in the midst of something that looks only like darkness and a blight on, on our time, God uses it in a way that we don't expect. And so what we wanted to point out in this this uh, little rebel segment is that at the funerals yeah. uh, for these for these children, the hockey team's chaplain was able to get up in front of all of uh, Canada's major major politicians. So our prime our our prime minister, um, the, his opposition leaders, the people who were going to run against him, a lot of his cabinet. This team chaplain was able to get up and preach what we describe very a very solid gospel message that they all had all had to sit listen and hear. And so we, our prayer would then be that God would use this strategy to spark rebirth, regeneration in the hearts of our leaders.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So a lot of the leaders, I mean, they just show up for these sorts of things, and it's good that they do. It's good that they do. So several different political leaders, the premier of uh, Saskatchewan, Justin Trudeau, who we rag on a lot uh, here, they were there, and that's good for them. Uh, but yeah, this this uh, chaplain, his name is uh, Sean Brandow, and or Brando, Brando, and he, uh, he delivered, it was, it was a solid gospel message. Like it had, it nailed every piece. There was not a person at that uh, uh, funeral service who did not hear a very clear articulation of the biblical gospel. And I'm just thankful for that. So, you know, I know Sean likely isn't among our listeners, but, uh, you know, praise God for uh, faithful chaplain and and faithful men like that who will use an opportunity in in the midst of very deep darkness to glorify god in a way that who knows who knows what uh way god will use those seeds that were planted to to grow some sort of uh gospel truth in the hearts of our leaders and and that's what we ought to be praying for so that's that's uh one of those little ways that god is working all things together for good in a situation that seems like nothing but bad so, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, um, As we transition out of Rebel News, uh, we're about to take a short break, but we want to introduce our guest today. We're going to come back with Jody Killingsworth, who is um, uh, one of the lead singers and... Um and uh, kind of brains behind uh, My Soul Among Lions, which is a, an awesome band. Uh, we would commend them to you. Uh, but they're committed to putting the Psalms to uh, music. And uh, we're going to come back with him and talk about Truthpocalypse, uh, modern worship music, how we're praising God in the midst of our worship services. And we're really excited for that. So stick around after break, and we'll come back with Jody Killingsberg.
1: Worship! <laughs>
3: Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Rebel Alliance Media, Uh, and if you really love them, you're really, really probably sort of maybe
0: like us. We are the Layman's Cup Podcast, and we are four guys seeking the truth one sip
3: at a time. I'm Kemp, and I'm alongside... Bob Sims, everybody. Hey, everybody. My man, Sean. What's up? And last but not least, say what's up to the people, Wes. Hey, what's up, people?
0: Again, we are the Layman's Cup Podcast, and we are glad you guys are listening to the Rebel Alliance, but we really, really want you to listen to us. Layman's Cup Podcast.
2: We are here with uh, Jody Killingsworth, who is the worship pastor at Clear Note, Church in Bloomington, and uh, is also uh, one of the band members for My Soul Among Lions. So thanks, first of all, for joining us, Jody. Thanks for having me. We've been loving My Soul Among Lions, and normally, kind of, if we're, if we're going to have somebody on and kind of talk about a topic, we'd let them plug all their stuff afterwards, but because My Soul Among Lions kind of uniquely got started as a band that was almost your response to some of the issues that you saw with modern worship... Why don't you talk to us a little bit about, first of all, what is My Soul Among Lions, and why did you get it started? Is that fair?
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, My Soul Among Lions was birthed out of Clear Note Church, and in particular, the pastor's college. Uh, We have a seminary that's embedded in our church, small scale. Um, It's a three-year program. Many of the younger pastors that are on staff here at our church Uh, We're trained as a part of that program, so we have grown up spiritually and pastorally in this church and been trained and equipped by this church. And we're often given substantial uh, responsibilities in the church while we're being trained. Since I had a background in music, I was a violin performance major, and uh, both at undergrad and masters, and. Since I had that background, they gave me the responsibility of leading our music program here and also increasing responsibilities of worship leadership and also turning around and teaching those things in the pastor's college as soon as I was uh, ahead of some other students. So in that crucible, I and those around me became convinced that there were many problems with contemporary Christian music, Contemporary music was the genre our elders had adopted and was the mission that we had been um, given by them was to do within a contemporary genre, faithful music leadership for the church. And we were very dissatisfied with most of the options that were available out there. There's exceptions, songs here and there, different artists that we've embraced as a church, but we're on the whole quite dissatisfied with what we found available to us so we were struggling for several years to rewrite some of the better hymns that were in the hymnal, things we just absolutely wanted to hang on to from history, but yet work into our contemporary settings. So that was the first few years of our labors. And then we became convinced that we needed to recover what is the lost art of psalm singing, the lost practice of psalm singing in the church. And in our study of church history, it became overwhelmingly clear that the Psalter has been the backbone of Christian worship throughout 16, 1,700 years of its history, and then in the last 200, 250 years has largely fell out of fashion except for some isolated pockets and groups here and there who have carried it on. But on the whole, and especially among those who practice contemporary worship in their churches, the Psalms are just not sung except for some of the nice bits here and there little excerpts from the Psalms are incorporated into many contemporary Christian songs, but very little about God's justice or his judgment, very little about sin, or repentance, or lament has been incorporated. So in addition to working on reclaiming hymns and hymnody, we set ourselves to the task of trying to reclaim the Psalter for singing. We looked at the existing options, but very few of them really fit with the genre that we were working with. And since there wasn't this tradition that we had inherited, like the hymn book tradition, we felt like we had a clean slate to just start from scratch and write even our own versifications of the Psalms. So that's what we've been doing the last several years. Really the thing that launched this project, we had been tinkering with it off and on for several years before we did anything public. And we had a couple of Psalms sitting around Right at the time when the Supreme Court ruled in Obergefell, it was about three years ago in July, and we had our version of Psalm 2 just in demo form, and we were kind of nervously sharing it among just our closest friends. (laughs) what, What do you think of this? Does this work? How does this hit you? And it hit people different ways, but right at that moment, it was like the floor fell out from all of us around the country. Christians were very shaken up by that ruling and it just felt like David feels in Psalm 11 that the foundations are destroyed. (laughs) What are we going to do? And so one of our fellow pastors, Stephen Baker, heard our track, and he said, you know, you guys got to get this out there immediately. I think that this would be greatly encouraging to Christians around the country. Just do something with it. Get it out there. So we, we scrambled. We did our recording of it in just a two or three days, start to finish, packaged it up. And as we were doing it, we were thinking, this is a really new sound for us. We had formerly been calling ourselves the Good Shepherd Band, and that's still a a name and a project that's somewhat alive in our church, but it was a bigger, rockier sound. And this was folkier, simpler. And so we're thinking, we need a different name for this project. Uh, What should it be? And we actually did the old "open up your Bible and pop your finger down" trick, and the very first thing my friend Nathan Alberson opened up to was Psalm. Is it fifty-seven? I think. Let me just see. Let me confirm that. I think it's Psalm fifty-seven, verse four. My soul is among lions, and he he just popped it down. He said that, and he started to turn the page to see what happened next. And I said, "Wait." That's, that's the one. excellent, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> I ran into the, the gym where my buddy and partner, Phil Moyer, was working on mixing and recording the track, and I said, Phil, what do you think about My Soul Among Lions? And he's like, that's perfect. Yeah. So that's how it really got birthed.
2: That's awesome. That's a, that's a cool story of God's providence and also maybe not a great way to do devotions, but it, apparently a great way to name a band. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah, nice. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously you have a passion for uh, worship, and so I'd just love to start picking your brain a little bit. So now you've given the context to some of our listeners about who you are and what this project is. And so feel free to slip in any ways in which My Soul Among Lines is addressing some of these themes. But i just love to pick your brain about contemporary worship music now. And kind of talk about some of the ways in which music is serving our church as well and and some of the ways in which music isn't serving our church well. So let me just start with a really basic question. How important is music to our church gatherings, to Sunday morning? How important is the music aspect of our services?
0: Well, we start with this important scripture places on it, which in the New Testament is repeated a number of places where it's just clear that God commands it to be done it's a tool that he has given us not just to praise him, but to teach and admonish one another and to encourage one another in worship. And so it's important, first of all, because God has commanded it to be done, but to try to open up why he might've commanded it. I think everybody knows the power of music upon our affections and our feelings. And God wants our whole person to be offered to him. Prayer is the way in which we fellowship with him and we offer ourselves and our thoughts to him. But you can add a musical element to prayer and it becomes song. And when you add that musical dimension to prayer, it's all the more powerful. I think one of the many things that Augustine famously never said, apparently, but he's often quoted as saying is that he who sings prays twice. And even if he didn't say it, I think it's a truism. It's like... It's an elevated form of prayer, and it involves our whole person and our body and our mind and our will and our emotions. And it's just a wonderful blessing. So hugely important, I would say.
2: You kind of led into that really perfectly. When you say that music engages our affections and our feelings. And so would you say that one of the failures or one of the dangers, I guess, of of modern worship music as it exists in the North American church right now is that we've elevated that place of feelings beyond where they're supposed to be. So if, if worship is meant to engage our feelings and bring our feelings along for the ride as, as we understand scriptural truth, have we erred too far on the side of just making it about feelings? Is that part of what this project was meant to address?
0: Yes, that is part of what the project is meant to address. We find in the Psalms, every contour... Of human emotion and experience. It it is very emotionally raw, vulnerable, transparent, potent stuff. David was a fully integrated emotional man. He brought all that he felt, all that he experienced to God in worship, not dryly, but very affectionately with incredible grief when he felt grief, with incredible passion and zeal when he felt those things, with incredible boisterous gratitude when he felt grateful. Uh, Whatever he was feeling, he brought to the Lord. But he brought it grounded and rooted in the character of God, the attributes of God, the truth of God. And I remember years ago being given an old, old hymnal falling apart from the 1800s, which was fascinating to me. And I opened up to just the title page, and there was just a little scriptural quote a scripture I had never noticed before, but it said where Paul in Corinthians, I believe, is saying, I will sing with the spirit, but I will sing with the mind also. And I thought that that was a perfect summary of what it is to worship faithfully. It's to worship with our minds, that is, in accordance with God's revealed truth, and using our intellect and not just giving in to emotional sentimentality. But, using our minds, engaging our minds, but also our emotions, with the spirit as a, as a placeholder for our emotions, and I do think that it is the fault of contemporary particularly contemporary Christian worship, but even going back to the gospel revivalistic tradition of gospel song singing, that there is this emphasis on the emotions, on sentiments over against the intellect, and the intellect is, I think, a placeholder for me looking to what God has revealed about himself and working to be faithful with those things and engaging our minds and thinking carefully about who God is and articulating that well. Before we even thought of the Psalms Project, the work that we needed to do was bringing back the tradition of doctrine in song, but not losing the emotional aspect of that and then we looked to the Psalms and realized that here was this goldmine of those two things held very much together, fully integrated in the words of King David and the other authors of the altar. So yes, reviving that work has greatly furthered our work of trying to reform Christian worship, at least for our church.
2: I so appreciate your mindset on that, because I think you know, Doug Wilson is, always seems to say you can fall off the ditch on either side, right? And so we just talked about the over-emotionalization of worship. But I think especially within kind of the Reformed community, we have a tendency to almost steer the vehicle so far in the other direction that we fall off the ditch on the other side and lose that involvement of our affections. And so I so appreciate that that's at the heart and center of what you're trying to do in in reforming the worship music is to bring theologically informed affections into the music experience at church. And I think that's That's
0: a good way of putting it. that, That
2: balance is so rare, unfortunately, I think.
0: Yeah, we have to feel or we're not worshiping God, but those feelings have to be in accordance with truth, with accordance with how he has revealed himself to us in Scripture, And so there's a way of being faithful in doctrine that isn't faithful in heart, that's dry and cold towards God. That just engages the mind and gets its thrills on an intellectual level. And that is very common in the Reformed world, sadly. But yes, the other error is very much out there too and probably more prevalent since the evangelical church, the non-Reformed evangelical church is much bigger.
2: I've heard you talk about elsewhere, and and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this. So help me maybe unpack this. You talk about how the Psalms often are David's personal experiences that he writes down and gives to the choir master and says, you know, teach these to the people of God. And so I really appreciated the balance with which you've talked about this, where you say, you know, especially as a group who's kind of committed to putting the Psalms to music, there are a lot of kind of Psalm onlyists who would talk about how anything other than the Psalms is an illegitimate form of worship. And I've heard you say that you disagree with that because the Psalms are in fact David's experiences given to a choir master taught to the people of God about his own experiences. So do you mind talking through that a little bit in terms of where do you see the place for the Psalms the hymns and then modern contemporary music, as long as it fits this criteria that we're talking about in terms of accurately reflecting God's truth about Himself.
0: So why am I not an exclusive Psalmist? I could have said it. And... I could
2: have said it more succinctly that way. Yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never bought the argument that when Ephesians and Colossians talks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it's talking about three different types of Psalms that can be found in this altar I just found that very weak let me just say this I completely affirm that the Psalms speak prophetically of Jesus Christ and that everything about his life and ministry is there to be found it's it's foreshadowed it's foretold and we get the full picture and the full gospel in the Psalms but if we just sang the Psalms we would never sing the name Jesus unless we added the name Jesus in, reinterpreted them as Isaac Watts did in his day in the language of the New Testament Christian. When we look in the book of Revelation, we see that they were singing, that the saints in heaven are singing the song of Moses, which is of God's deliverance of his Old Testament people, and also the song of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. So I just think that scripture makes plenty of room. Plus, if you add in what seem to be examples of Christian hymnody embedded in the New Testament scriptures themselves. I know that's arguable, but there's sections that most translators have called out as, oh, this is like poetry. This is like a song that's being quoted here from the early church. It's been the tradition of the church throughout the centuries to, in addition to having the Psalms as their backbone, to have other songs added on the side even just musical settings of creedal formulations that are incorporated in worship. So I believe there's there's room for both. I do tend to think that we should err in the direction of the psalms, but I'm happy as a worship leader if we're able to get one psalm in a week. There's occasional Sundays where we'll have the majority of the songs will be a psalm because it just the theme called for that. Those were the right songs for the day. Uh, What we were trying to communicate that day, that happens from time to time. But I feel like we have been faithful to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs if we've sung at least one psalm on a Sunday. So that's my rule of thumb for myself, for our own church, as we try to grow in our commitment to sing these psalms. I think it's good to write devotionally. And I think some of us, God has gifted to do that, given us a skill or a voice talent to write devotionally, worshipfully, and give voice to the whole, to everybody, to the body. And I think people who God has gifted to do that work should do it, and the church should make room for them to do it. If we could reclaim psalmody, then there'd be lots of safety to do that, because we'll have disciplined ourselves in singing the Psalms to think about God properly. If we have done that, if we have trained ourselves in singing the Psalms, and I think we will find ourselves like Mary did when she spontaneously wanted to say something of praise to God. She just starts quoting Psalms. And even the parts that aren't directly quotations of the Psalms sound very much like Psalms. That's my vision for myself, for my children, for our grandchildren, is that they will have grown up so deeply rooted in the Psalter That when it comes time to praise God in their own words, they will sound psalm-like. They will be unique. They'll be new thoughts, personal experiences of praise of God, but they will be like Mary's song, rooted in the scriptures, full of his truth, phraseology coming right from God's
2: word. And so would you say that in getting back to this, in immersing ourselves, if you will, in the language of the Psalms, one of the benefits of doing that is that you get a holistic picture of God. You started by saying this when you're talking about why you undertook this project, but would you say that there are attributes of God that are largely being ignored in Christian worship right now, and those are the kinds of praises that will come out if we immerse ourselves in the Psalms?
0: Absolutely. There are lots of themes, several key themes that have been overlooked, neglected, Written out even of older songs that had them in there originally over the last maybe 80, 100 years in church history. And those themes are themes of God's justice, his wrath, of his holiness, of his anger and hatred of sin, of distinctions, very clear distinctions between the righteous and the wicked of the blessings upon the righteous for obedience to him, all kinds of things that are essential to a right view of God and a right appreciation of him and a right fear of him. That's even a phrase that we are very shy about in the church today. I remember growing up in my own circles, asking as I was becoming a teenager and becoming quite angsty and grappling with my own sin and trying to find peace with God in spite of my sin, you know, how do I be reconciled to God and having this abiding sense of His displeasure on me and not knowing where to turn or how to deal with it and not getting a lot of help from the people around me or from the preaching. And I remember being troubled greatly, particularly in the Psalms, by this constant theme of fearing God and asking people I trusted, what does this mean? And then being quite dismissive or just not dealing with the words fairly saying things like, which is very common in the church, oh, it just means like a proper respect of God. And that's just, just like, that's, come on, man. <laughs> Words mean things. That's not what fear means. <laughs> so a Christian who's truly reconciled to God. I remember reading this wonderful and quite amazing quote in, have you heard of Ian Murray, the author? I think it's in his book, Revival and Revivalism. There's a chapter of, focused on five faithful preachers in New England at the time of the Second Awakening, um, and they were trying to correct some of the abuses of the revival, trying to nail down and reclaim for their congregations what was the nature of a true profession, a true conversion. And I remember him, one of these guys being quoted as saying something like, a false conversion, a false profession is made by somebody who hears of the love of God and they feel, as they hear that, that their enmity with him is removed. As long as they're hearing of his mercy and his kindness, they feel, oh, God might actually love me. But as soon as they hear a word about his justice or his wrath, they feel that enmity in their heart revive. But he said a true profession, a true conversion is quite different. It's somebody who has come face to face with the justice of God at the point of their sin, knowing that they're justly condemned by him and they take God's side against themselves. They join him and say, that's exactly right. I love you because you are a God of justice, even though that condemns me. And he says that person is reconciled to God because they're pleased with his character. Only a person who's been reconciled to God is going to be pleased with his character. If we accept that statement of true conversion, it's damning upon the church today. Because I'm afraid the church is filled. Our songs, contemporary Christian music, as a mantra of grace, 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 that's what it's filled with, is evidence, I'm afraid, that we are a church filled with false hope. We are not pleased with who God is because we have not yet taken his side against ourselves. If we were to do that complete surrender to God, we would be pleased with his righteous character. In that moment, it's like a very short distance from accepting his righteous character to being made righteous by him. I mean, those things are like cheek and jowl. We did a conference here years ago based on, I think, maybe Thomas Watson. I'm not sure. We had trouble locating the source of this quote, but it's been said by different men that in the godly, fear and love embrace, and they certainly embrace in the Psalms. And if we want to be godly, they need to embrace in our hearts and
2: come out in our praises to God. That's so heavy to think that the songs were not singing— can be hindering our evangelism in our own churches. And even if we're in a church where the pastor is faithfully preaching the word of God, then we come into a time when we're supposed to emotionally respond to the truth that we've just heard. And then again, the songs are just one dimensional, right? Looking at just the love, just the grace, just the mercy of God. I won't know where this quote comes from, but you've quoted a couple anonymous people so far, so I'll say it too. But um, the cross is where God's love and God's justice meet, right? And so the idea is you never get to the cross. You never get led to the cross just on the back of love. It's where love and justice meet. And so if you don't see God's justice, there's no need for a cross.
0: Yeah, but if you have accepted that in Christ's death, God's wrath against sin was poured out and it's for your sin and you're able to understand and comprehend by God's grace that his wrath and his mercy meet there and that his wrath is satisfied. It gives you ability to stand before him confidently, but to stand before him confidently is not to never think about your sin and to try to keep it out of you lest you get discouraged or Set back or something. No, far from it. It gives you the confidence to stand before Him in spite of your sin, to look it full in the face and acknowledge it and say, That's me. That's my sin. That's awful. And God paid for that and washes me clean of it. You're able to look at sin once you've looked at Christ on the cross. It gives you the freedom to look at your sin and to acknowledge it, to feel that it's not the end of the world.
2: Amen. Because of Christ. So what would you say then moving forward? I don't want to put you on the spot and I know you're humble enough to uh, probably make all kinds of caveats saying that you don't have all the answers. So skip that stuff. Cause I know you'll say it, but the way forward from here for all of our listeners who are part of churches, some of them church pastors, some of them worship leaders, some of them worship volunteers, some of them just average churchgoers, what's the way forward from here? We recognize that there's a problem in our music, in the way that we worship God. We're not confronting all of his attributes. We're not worshiping him for all of his attributes. In fact, some of the Psalms about smashing the children of your enemies against the rock and dashing them to pieces. Some of those very verses in the Psalms We think of as abhorrent because we have improper views of God. And so for that listener who's sitting there and saying, okay, I'm starting to feel a bit convicted about what I'm singing. What's the way forward?
0: The way forward for the average congregant, I think, is to start finding the groups that I believe we are one of. There are others that are out there working creatively to come up with compelling solutions, for modern worship. We've been greatly blessed in our church by Indelible Grace and their reworking of old hymns. Old hymns are a good place to start for the same reason that reading old dead guys is so helpful. It takes you out of your time, out of your biases and prejudices, and helps you see yourself and what's missing in your life. Wow, people used to think these thoughts and... And, and, and say and, them. And <laughs> proclaim And proclaim them. <laughs> That's incredible. We should do that because there's a workable solution right there. We can just turn to those things and we can do them. There are groups out there working in their realm and their sphere and their ministry to come up with good solutions of songs that are doctrinally faithful, but also musically compelling, artistically excellent, that will engage our emotions in worship and help us to loosen up. Those of us who come from more Presbyterian backgrounds. A lot of Presbyterian churches just need to chill out, loosen up, and move a little bit in worship. And it would go a long way, because they got a lot of great doctrine. That they get excited see, about it. But <laughs> they need to get excited about it, yes, absolutely. So I think that's one place to start, is seek out, get hold of the resources for yourself, just for yourself, your family. Listen to the albums that some of these groups are putting out. Keep them playing in your home and in your car. Experience the blessing of that for yourself. And then if you have the ear of your pastor or worship leaders, say, you know, this group right here has really been blessing our family. We would love to see our worship incorporate some of these songs or maybe some of these instruments that they're using. Have you guys thought about that and starting that conversation with your pastor the elder. In the case of those who are in broadly evangelical churches, let's say that has a band, but they're singing Hillsong, Bethel songs that get the emotional side of things, right? But don't have God's truth at the center or the whole of God's revealed truth that they are proclaiming and embracing. I think that there are groups like ours out there that are producing things that are attempting to do both, have both favorites And taking some of those examples to your worship leader, to your pastor, actually might be a better place to start, because often the worship leader is in a more vulnerable position than the pastor. Pastor can bring about changes, can take risks that a worship leader can't. And so if you're talking about doctrinal things, you ought to take it to your pastor and say, listen, I've become convinced that we need to be singing some of these forgotten themes. And here is a solution. Here are some songs that I believe proclaim the holiness of God or the justice of God that we could sing and actually would help us in our worship. What do you think, pastor? Could we sing this song? So those, I think, for just normal average congregants, that would be my advice. If you're a musician, if you're talented, if God's given you musical ability or ability with words, I think, start doing what we're doing. We just started, you know, we're not on the map. We just started doing something and see how it went. It might help everybody who's listening to know, we don't think of ourselves as a group of writing in any way the definitive version of the Psalms. We're just trying to come up with workable solutions, taking risks, trying things, experimenting. We've been encouraged to hear from many people and even many churches that the songs are useful, that they're singable, that they're blessing people, but they're not definitive. We've almost completed the first 30 psalms, but even in the first 30 psalms, there's probably room for a a couple thousand other versions in what we've done that would be equally faithful or maybe superior. So please get busy. If God's given you talent, get busy. One of the anecdotes that I love from Isaac Watts is whenever he was young, he was complaining about the state of psalm singing in his church. He was just like a young kid. And walking home from church one Sunday, he was complaining to his dad. And his dad said something like, you know, I don't want to hear you complaining. I'll do something about it. Fix it. <laughs> We're doing our best here. So if you don't like it, do something better. So he did. There are lots of problems I have with what we have done with Isaac Watts over the years with his arguments, with his hymns, because it's really through our embracing of Isaac Watts' hymns as a church that we lost the tradition of singing the Psalms. Long story there. But yeah, God used Isaac Watts to help inspire a great revival of religion in the Western world in the English speaking world. Who knows how important that little admonishment from dad, how big that moment was in the history of the church, you know? And so here, I'll be Isaac Watts' dad. To all you listeners, if God's given you talents, get busy, do something, come up with solutions. I think we've got a lot to learn and a lot of room to grow in the Christian church today in how we worship God.
2: So then one more group that I'd ask you to kind of talk to as we start to wrap things up here, and that is you're a musician. So at the risk of offending you, uh, musicians can be uh, rather artistic and finicky. And can we say high maintenance? Is that okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, That's okay. my wife. And so a lot of musicians, right? They have their favorite songs. They have their favorite sounds. They have their favorite styles. Can you, as one of them, talk to some of the people who are involved in worship who might be listening, talk to them about their sensitivities and the way in which maybe we're clinging to some of our favorite songs because they may have meant something to us. Because they have a hold on us, because, you know, we sing a particular worship song that might not be all that doctrinally sound, and yet it brings up nostalgia of when we first got saved. And we're looking to revive the church in some way by bringing the Psalms back into our worship, we're going to have to let go of some of that stuff. So can I give you a, a minute just to kind of talk to them?
0: Yeah, I remember when I was first given the responsibility of leading the band here and coming up with arrangements and choosing music that for a good number of months or maybe even years, Tim Bailey, our senior pastor was frequently not happy with the choices I made because I'm a introverted kind of guy by nature, quite shy and tend towards a melancholic palate. My tastes go in the moody direction. That's changing as God has given me children. And as I have learned to appreciate, let's say, even empathize with other people's musical tastes, knowing that I can't just serve myself as I'm serving a body of people, and the body is as varied as the number of people in it. But I remember Pastor Bailey being quite displeased with my moodiness in worship and him exhorting me and I struggling to even figure out what he meant, exhorting me to have joy in worship. Jody, we're going to have joy in worship this Sunday, Right. Me experimenting and trying to figure out what does he mean? How do we do that? And at one point, it became quite clear. He started to suspect that what he was looking for in terms of joy was something I simply didn't like. That I was, what would you say, maybe proud of my moody tastes. I like a lot of young, newly reformed men go through this period where like angst is next to godliness or... Something like that. (laughs) Calvinism should make you grumpy, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which is quite the opposite. So I was going through this, and at some point, Tim was talking to me like, so what's like a song that you wouldn't want to do? And he started naming off some songs. I think one of them might have been I Love You, Lord, or something like that. Just a simple praise course. He saw that I turned my nose up, and he said, that's it. That's what you're going to do on Sunday to discipline me. And I think that's close to when God started to change my heart and outlook as a worship leader and know that I'm not just up there to please myself. I'm not even up there to be myself because the truth is nobody needs me to be myself. I'm reclusive. I'm shy. I'm timid. Part of just learning to lead is learning to, I don't want to say act, You know, you don't want to be false, but you have to be willing to give up your life for us, to lay down your preferences and to serve other people. Pastor Bailey loves to quote this saying that all an Englishman's preferences are a matter of principle. We each of us hold our musical tastes very close to our personality, to our heart, and the worship leader's task is to engage everybody in the congregation. It's a very difficult task to get everybody on every Sunday and and get them engaged in one or two or three musical settings of of prayer. Very difficult task. But what we have to do is we can't just serve ourselves and choose things that we like. We have to intentionally choose things that so-and-so over there is going to like. It's going to engage them. It's going to really bless them. And I think everybody else will probably be surprised and find that it did them too, or many others will. This is probably the best thing I have to say. Tim, Tim Bailey was given um, many great rules of thumb, bits of practical wisdom from his father when he went into the ministry. And I think this is one of them. It's certainly one he passed on to me when I was given the responsibility of music leadership. And that was keep everybody equally unhappy all the time. It's good
2: advice. Instead
0: of as a... Constitutional people pleaser. That is a very liberating phrase because you realize that's that you don't rise higher than that as a servant of the church. The goal is as in leading a body, or serving a body. You are going to make people unhappy. Accept it. You just try to spread that unhappiness around a little. Bit. <laughs> I found that really useful and liberating in my leadership. It's just it's, it's helped me have a good perspective on it. And what I have found is, as I have grown in my appreciation of others' tastes and preferences in music, I didn't really like rock and roll. I'm from a rural southern Missouri setting and uh, grew up with gospel quartet singing all around me as my family. And I was homeschooled, and so it was either classical music or my idea of church music was shaped by gospel quartet. That's my frame of reference. But God has surrounded me with men who are from big cities, who have played in real bands. I've never done that before outside of church. (laughs) And, And while still having to lead them, I have learned to incorporate their tastes and also the tastes of others in our congregation. And that has helped me. I've grown in my appreciation for their background, their music, their style, their preferences. And it's taken me in a more joyful, hopeful direction spiritually. So just by it learning to not sing only in moody, melancholic ways, but to sing more joyful songs and in more joyful ways, I have grown in joy. So there's a spiritual blessing to learning to empathize with others in musical tastes.
2: And in a lot of ways, it kind of brings us full circle as to why to sing the Psalms. Because the Psalms are full of David's melancholy. They're full of David's zeal. They're full of David's sin. They're full of David's triumphs. And so Mm. when we come back to the Psalms, we get a complete picture because we sing all of those things and they're in the inspired word of God. And so there's safety there and fullness of Christian expression. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. yeah. So, hey, thanks so much for joining us here. I kind of want to give you a moment to talk to a lot about My Soul Among Lions. So where can we find the band? Where can we find the music? And uh, I know that you guys are in the middle of raising money for Psalms 30 to 40 right now. Is that correct?
0: We haven't actually started raising money for that. We are right now completing our recording project for Psalms 21 through 30. Hopefully by the end of this week, we will have wrapped up the tracking of that. We've had some setbacks in the process, but we are almost done tracking and it'll move to mixing. And hopefully within five to six weeks, it'll be able at least digitally to be delivered to the people who helped fund that project and then um, publicly available, we hope, on July 4th of this year. So right now we have Psalms 1 to 10 and 11 to 20 available in recording and in sheet music for purchase on Bandcamp at mysoulamonglions.bandcamp.com. I think that's
2: how it works. I know there's Um, a link on Warhorn Media as well, so...
0: Yeah, warhornmedia.com, they link to us, or we have a website, mysoulamonglions.com. It has links to everything there, too. But coming this July, hopefully July 4th, the third volume, uh, Psalms 21 to 30, will also be available.
2: Awesome. Thank you. And just for any of our listeners, I, I hope you go and check them out. You guys even have several videos on YouTube that are just awesome. The production value is is solid. The music is great. I remember Psalm 2 is actually one of the first ones that I saw. And as I think of both the video and, of course, the music itself, what a timely release that would have been several years ago when Obergefell mm-hmm. went through. So, yeah, awesome stuff.
0: Yeah, we're constantly adding to our YouTube channel so you can subscribe to the YouTube channel and and keep updated with the latest
2: videos. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for uh, being generous with your time. And all the best to the band. We'll be praying for you. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been a blessing.
1: Well, thank you for listening. That was Jody Killingsworth from My Soul Among Lions. Um, if you liked what you heard, obviously we would appreciate it if you checked us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can like, share us, follow us on those platforms. Um, you can also check out My Soul Among Lions. Um, they are all over the internet as well. Um, we're gonna leave you guys with one of their their songs, one of us, me and Nate's favorites. Check it out. We hope you guys are blessed by it and continue to follow and support this ministry.
3: Why do the nations raise? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Seeking to rid themselves of Christ's dominion. A theme that's true in any age. Oh, tell me, why do the heathen nations rage? Kings and rulers take their stand. Against the Lord and his anointed lamb To tear from them Messiah's cords and feathers And set themselves upon his stage Oh, tell me why do the heathen nations rage? The God of heaven laughs at them He laughs them all to scorn i set my king on holy Zion's hill he rebukes the men, his anger says today my child is born And woe to those refusing my goodwill My son just asking me and I will give the nations of the earth For you to rule them with a mighty iron rod For you to dash them all to pieces and then pound them into dirt Until you spread your fame and power Check your pride Get down on your knees Rejoice with trembling Kiss the sun while he is near And let your rage become a holy fear The Son of God calls out to you Come find your rest in me Come stand with me up here on Zion's hill My rage will soon be kindled So you best come bow your knee and woe to those refusing my goodwill My son, just ask of me And I will give the nations of the earth For you to rule them with the mighty ire My son, just ask of me, and I will give the nations of the earth for you to rule them with a mighty iron rod. For you to dash them all to pieces and then pound them into dirt until you spread your fame and power and love abroad. Till all the nations bow before the sun.